73, Proverbs 12, and Romans 12. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there, no, is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And then to Proverbs chapter 12, just one verse, verse 2. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. And then finally, over to Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, if you're like me, you probably thought about a lot of things that you wanted to be when you grow up, right? You know, most children that I know, you know, have, have a lot of dreams, a, a lot of things that they think about, a lot of things that they desire. I know for myself at one point in time, uh, I think I wanted to be a policeman. That's very common. Almost everybody does, uh, unless you're, you know, have bad experiences there. I wanted to, at one point in time, wanted to be a firefighter. I actually was a firefighter for a little while, a volunteer firefighter. That was kind of fun. Uh, That was good. Um, Let's see. I thought about being the president of the United States, uh, but I didn't have the right haircut for it, obviously. Uh, You know, I I thought about being a doctor for a while, uh, but then I decided I didn't like needles very much. Uh, So, you know, I never thought about being a dentist. Not once. I couldn't understand why anybody would want to be a dentist. Forgive me if any of you are in, into dental care there. Uh, you know, never wanted to be that. I, I think there was a, a period of time in my life when I wanted to be an actor. You, you can tell. You know, it just kind of comes through. Uh, probably a singer, uh, although that's cool. I get to do that, so that, that's kind of a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, there's a lot of things you want to be, right? Uh, there's a lot of things. I wanted to be wealthy. That was a big thing. You know, I wanted to be a multimillionaire, uh, and I kept begging God for that one uh, because I said, God, just think of all the things I could do that are good if I had enough money, you know, so I, I wanted to do that. I remember when I was 13, it was a year after I came to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and, uh, I, and I was in prayer. I was at a summer camp, and I felt like the Lord kind of nudged me to go into pastoral ministry. And uh, that was not something I wanted to do. In fact, I talked to my pastor about it uh, that, that very same week. Uh, the pastor I had growing up, very godly man. I loved him, I loved him dearly. Uh, I asked him about it, you know, and I said, you know, but what do pastors do all day? It, it seems so boring. And for a while, I thought about going into business uh, and, uh, and doing quite well there. I thought about being a teacher. I thought about being a lot of things. Then when I became uh, a pastor, uh, I thought about uh, perhaps having a very big church, maybe a big, very charismatic church in the United States uh, with lots of people coming and, and lots of resources and things like that uh, and, and that kind of thing going on. And, and so I thought maybe you know, that would be the thing. Uh, I thought for a while that I would maybe be a Presbyterian pastor my whole life uh, there in the States and, and maybe one day have a large Presbyterian church church, a Presbyterian congregation, Uh, you know, and I never once, never, ever, ever once in my life dreamed about being a pastor in London. Wasn't, wasn't in my childhood, wasn't in my teen years, wasn't in my 20s, wasn't even in my early 30s. I never dreamed, never dreamed, never thought about it really 
started getting some inklings of it at one point in time when Karen and I were praying about where we would be and, and what we would be a part of. And we began to get a sense in the spirit uh, that we were going to be part of a church that valued both the word and the spirit, a church that was genuinely uh, multicultural, uh, embracing a lot of different cultures from a lot of different places around the world. And we had a notion that it would probably be outside the United States because at that time in the United States there wasn't anything like this. Uh, and so we looked at that and we thought about that, uh, but we never really dreamed about it. And here's the thing. We want to lead a good life. We want to have a good life. We want to experience the good life. Everybody does. And that's what we've been talking about. Everybody wants to know what it is to live a good life. But we tend to make two fundamental problems when we're trying to decide what the good life is. Because even though we want to lead the good life, even though we want to have the good life, we often have difficulties discerning what the good life actually is and what it would actually mean for us. You know, for many, many times over the course of, of my ministry, I, I've met with women, I've met with men who were single, who desperately wanted to be married, you know, and they said, my life would be good if only I had a soulmate, if only I had a partner, if only I got married. And time after time, I've seen people who have prayed that and longed for that only to get married, to find the person that they thought it was their soulmate, and wake up one morning and say, God, what have I done? This is not the right person. This is not the right direction. This is not the right thing for my life. I've seen people go after a job, a career, and when they get to it, they realize the price they had to pay to get there was too great. I've seen people go after possessions, going into major debt to buy a new phone or a new car or a new house, thinking that, okay, I can't afford it, but if I, if I have it, then I'll have the good life, only to discover that houses wear down, that phones quit, that cars have to be maintained, and one day, much quicker than the loan that you took out, the value decreases. See, our challenge is we want to live the good life, but we struggle to discern what it is, and we make two fundamental mistakes. Mistake number one is to think that we actually know what the good life is for us. Everybody assumes that, they, well, I should know. I, it's me. It's my life. So I should be able to determine what is going to be the good life for me. But the problem is you can't. Very rarely have I seen anybody who has really known, especially at a young age, has really known what the good life would actually be for them. Very rarely. And the second big mistake that we make <clears throat> is that we tend to look at other people, what they have, and begin to think, if I only had what they had, I would have the good life. 
If I only had the lifestyle of such and such, if I only had the money uh, of this multimillionaire, if I only had the position of this person, if I only had this power, if I only had uh, this resource, if I was only living in this country, if I was only in this place, if I only had this person, then somehow I would have the good life if I had what this other person has. And as long as we live with those two realities, thinking, one, that we actually know what the good life is, or two, that we can understand or discern the good life by looking at somebody else's life that seems to be good, as long as we get stuck in those two traps, we will never really discern what the good life is. You can never do it. And I've seen people try and try and try and try, including Christians, go on for years and years and years and years, struggling to discern the good life, thinking that they know it, but all of a sudden they discover they get something and it changes, and, well, okay, well, maybe that wasn't what I thought, so it must be something else. And they go from one thing to one thing to one thing to one thing. Or they keep looking at other people and other possessions and other situations and other countries and other lives and think, I'm going to have it. But they don't. They don't discern what it really is. So how do we do that? Well, thankfully, the scriptures gives us, give us some major insights into this. First, we look at Asaph. Now, we don't know if it was Asaph himself that wrote this. Uh, when it says the Psalm of Asaph, uh, Asaph had a whole bunch of people around him. Uh, so it might have been one of the other junior musicians uh, under the tutelage of Asaph. Uh, it could have been any number of people that wrote this. But the important thing to note is here is a guy who is a worship leader probably in the tabernacle of David. This is somebody who is spending maybe even 20, 30, 40 hours a week or more worshiping the Lord and living for God. Okay, so they're really sold out for God here. Uh, So this is not some lightweight. It's actually somebody who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is actually uh, writing scripture and writing a biblical song, and this would have been sung. So this person here, he starts out with something that's very, very important. It really sets the stage for us. It's absolutely essential. Truly, God is good to Israel. Now, fundamental to discerning the good life is believing that God is good. That's what we've been talking about. We've been giving you the biblical basis of that. You have to know and choose to believe that God is good, no matter the circumstances, no matter what it looks on the outside, God is good. Particularly, God is good to his people, to Israel, to us as his people. So truly, God is good. And God is especially good to his people fundamental thing. Second thing is what we talked about last week. Truly God is good to those who are pure in heart. Remember last week we talked about being a good person and that the, the, the fundamental aspect or the, the fundamental step or requirement for living a good life is to be a good person. What Asaph here would call pure in heart. Uh, that's what the, the Solomon said in the Proverbs. You know, God's favor is with the man who has a good heart. Now, how do we have a good heart? How do we become pure in heart? It's only through Jesus Christ. 
It's in Christ Jesus, coming to Jesus, that we're made new creations, we're given a new heart, a new spirit, who's, uh, that's working out uh, into our lives, it makes us a new person, we are new creations in Christ Jesus, the old is gone, the new has come, in Jesus we are made good persons, because the goodness of Jesus is given to us, we become good through Jesus, we have the righteousness of Jesus in our lives. And we have to have the firm conviction that truly God is good, truly God is good to his people, and truly God is good to the pure in heart, which we qualify for because we're in Christ Jesus. If you don't have this as a fundamental faith basis in your life, you will not experience the good life. Absolutely not. You cannot. This is fundamental requirement, basic requirement for living, experiencing, discerning the good life. So what happens to Asaph here? He says, you know, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. So here's a man who has the conviction that God is good, the conviction that God is good to his people, the conviction that God is good to the pure in heart. He would have seen himself in this category because he would have been part of Israel. So he would have embraced this for himself. He would have believed this for himself. And yet here he was and his own feet had almost stumbled and and, and his steps were slipping. He almost fell. He almost uh, got tripped up in living his life in his search for the good life. Now, how did this happen? Well, look what he did. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He looks around himself and starts to look at what other people have. He starts to look at the prosperity of people around him. He starts looking at how confident they seem to be, how together they seem to have it. He starts looking at people who are not walking with God, who are not living uh, life according to God's precepts. He starts looking at them and saying, wow, they're prosperous. These are confident people. He says, you know, they, they don't have any pains in their body. Their bodies are fat. I mean, they're eating a lot of food and they look good. It's hard to get fat and sleek together, but, you know, they, they would have seen that. They're not in trouble. They're not stricken. They have pride. They got violence, and, and violence here is not necessarily physical violence. They were talking against other people. They were boasting against other people. They were putting other people down, judging other people. They had this attitude toward other people. You can kind of pick it. You can see it from celebrities and things uh, in, in the papers and stuff today. You just kind of see them, and, and you see this disdain that they seem to have for some people. They, their eyes swell out through fatness and their hearts overflow with follies. They're just thinking about stupid stuff all the time here. They scoff and speak with malice. They threaten oppression. You know, if you mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. I'll get you. I'm stronger than you are. I, I can have my way because I've got money. It's a, that kind of attitude. 
They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. In other words, they disregard God. They say, oh, God doesn't exist. God's not important. If God is there, you know, it's a different kind of spirituality that I'm after here. And, uh, you know, and, and I can have my way. I can do my thing. Uh, I can go where I want to on the earth. I can do what I want to. You know, there's some nations right now, just reading where New Zealand is now apparently the new haven for the rich. And so if you have enough money, it's almost you can buy your own citizenship there for New Zealand. Uh, And apparently they're trying to escape the apocalypse or something. And then what happens? God's people then start following them. Even God's people start looking at these people and say, wow, they're pretty cool. I like them. I want to be like them. Uh, they're not so bad. You know, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be against these people. They're not so bad. And, and they're saying, you know, how can God know? It, it doesn't even seem like God's paying attention to any of this. That they go on and they do whatever they want to and God doesn't even respond. They're always at ease. They seem to increase in riches. And he says, you know, I'm looking at this I'm looking at what they're doing. I'm looking at how they're living. And now I'm looking at myself. And as I look at myself, and I start to think about what it means to live the good life. Now, notice how he's done the first thing. He started comparing looking at others to see the good life. Now he's looking at himself. He says, I look at myself and I say, you know, in vain I've kept my heart clean. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. In vain, I've been following God. I've been keeping myself pure. I've been doing God's things. I've I've not uh, uh, been drinking and smoking and chewing and and going with girls that do and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm just doing this in vain. You know, why haven't I gone out partying? Why haven't I gone out and and living, you know, clubbing and and sleeping around and doing all this kind of stuff that these other people have done? Because I look at myself and all day long, you know, I'm struggling. I get up in the morning, I got a headache, and I look in the mirror, and I got a bigger headache after that. And, and I just, I, you know, and I don't want to go to work, and I don't want to be around people, and it's just a wrestling match every single day when I get up, and I'm stricken all the time. You know, and if I said I would speak like these people, you know, if I do what these people were doing, You know, I would have betrayed the children of your generation. I just, I don't know. So he's looking at what other people are living and saying, maybe that's the good life. He's looking at his own disappointments and everything, his inability to discern the good life for himself. And he comes to this conclusion. When I thought how to understand this, I was exhausted. I just couldn't figure I'm tired. I just want to quit. I want to give up. I don't want to go on. But notice what happens. Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Until that point that I desired to get into God's presence. Until that point that I went before God in worship to spend time in the presence of God then that, at that moment I discern their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. They're destroyed in a moment. 
swept away utterly by terrors. Now you look at all the people that you might think have led the good life over the last century. How many of you do you actually remember? And how many were there one day and gone the next to be utterly forgotten? It's like a dream. You know, they're like phantoms. They're here and then they're gone. You know, and now I'm looking at myself when I'm with you, God, and I realize, you know, my heart, my soul was brutish and ignorant. I was behaving like a beast. I was thinking like a beast. I'm getting so bitter and upset and angry with you and upset with you and what you're doing and the, and the unfairness of it all and, and my frustration and my disappointment and I was just caught up in all of this junk and I was blaming you, God, for everything. I was blaming you for not having a good life. I was blaming you that others seem better off than I am. I was blaming you that my life doesn't seem to be as great as everybody else's. I was, I was brutish and ignorant and arrogant like a beast. But you know, now I'm in your presence. I'm with you all the time. You hold my right hand. He realizes that God is with him every minute of the day. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you'll receive me in your glory. God's with us, guiding us in our lives. And then one day when we die, we'll be with God in glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and the portion of my life. He comes into a realization of who he is, of all that he has, of his relationship with God, and the reality of God's goodness, that God is good, that God is good to Israel, and God is good to the pure in heart, all by being in the presence of God, all by coming into the place of worship. He says, those who are far from you, they will perish, and you will put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. He sees it now. And he says, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So you see what happens in order to discern what really is the good life. Asaph realizes the foolishness of trying to find it just within himself. And he realizes the foolishness of trying to compare his life to other people and realizes that the only way to really discern what the good life is, the only way to really know the good life and to live the good life is to live it in relationship with God beginning in the place of worship, beginning by surrendering his life to God. And this is exactly what Paul was telling us there in Romans chapter 12. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, and that word brothers means both men and women, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, interesting to note, he doesn't say present your heart, present your thought, uh, present, present uh, your mind. He says present your body as a living sacrifice. Why is that? Because everywhere your body goes, you go. Do you get that? You know, we don't believe as Christians in out-of-body experiences like that. Everywhere your body goes, you go. And if you present your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice, you're presenting everything else that is of you as a living sacrifice. 
But it's also important because when we're trying to discern the good life, so many times we seek to discern the good life based on outward circumstances. Based on what we have, what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can taste, what we can experience. And Paul says, no, present your bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Give everything to God, submit fully to Him. And the thing is that when you present your body to the Lord, it's everything you are, and everything is sacrificed to the Lord. You don't hold anything back. You don't hold anything back. Now, notice here too that he's talking to the Christians gathered together. He doesn't say present your body to the Lord. He says you all present your collective bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And if you do that, if you present your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice, you are by definition holy and acceptable to him because you're coming through Jesus. Jesus is the one who's made us holy. Jesus is the one who's made us acceptable. You don't have to work for his approval. You already have his approval. You don't have to work to have a pure heart. Through Jesus, you're given a pure heart. We just seek to maintain that pure heart. You don't have to work for the grace of God. You have received the grace of God. So God looks at you and declares you through Jesus holy and righteous and acceptable to him. And that's how we can come to God confidently and present our whole being there as a living sacrifice. And it says that this is our, and again it's our collective, spiritual worship. Now this word worship here is a unique word. I won't go into all the detail of it, but it's a unique word. It's something that you do. It's something that you practice. It's not, sometimes we think of worship as this experience. Oh Jesus, I love you. Oh, I feel so good and I feel so happy. Uh, and, it's, and sometimes worship is like that and it's great. I'm not against worship like that. But frankly, there are a lot of days, a lot of Sundays, when I'm standing up there and that first downbeat, uh, I mean, I, I got a headache, I'm grumpy, I'm tired, I don't want to do anything, uh, it's not easy. And, and listen, I, I'm the guy that's paid to do that. You know, I'm the pastor here. And if it's hard for me, I know it's hard for some of you sometimes. There's some days, come on, let's face it, some days we don't want to get up on a Sunday morning and come to church. There's a part of me that looks forward to the day when we're meeting in the afternoons because I can sleep in. Although God will cruelly tell me, no, you can't sleep in because I want to you know, preach at other churches and stuff. And I'm going, ah, no, then I'll have to do double. But anyway, that's another story here. So it's, it's that way. And we can have this idea of worship that worship is acceptable only when we feel right. Only when we feel like we love God. Only when we feel like worshiping. But this word here that's translated as worship means something that you choose to do with your mind whether or not you feel like it presenting yourself to God. And it's actually work. The idea here is very similar to the word for work. In other words, what Paul is saying is present your body as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to him, which is your work that you need to do. It's your spiritual work, and it makes sense to do it. Even if you don't feel like doing it, you do it. You do your spiritual work. 
So you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's very similar then to what Asaph said, going into the house of the Lord, coming before the Lord. Asaph in that moment was not feeling like going into the house of the Lord. You get that from reading the text. He chose to go in the house of the Lord. He chose to do what he needed to do. He chose this spiritual act of worship. And that's what Paul is telling us to do. And as we choose to do that, we refuse to conform to the pattern of the age. In other words, we refuse to allow our minds to think that the good life is determined by Brad Jelena. Or the good life is determined by the Trumpinator. Or the good life is determined by Richard Branson. Or the good life is determined even by Her Majesty the Queen, God bless her. These are not the determining people of the good life. And we refuse to conform to those patterns. We refuse to conform to those understandings of the good life. We refuse to conform to the advertising that's you know, jammed at us every single day. We refuse to conform to these things. But we agree to be transformed by renewing our mind. As you engage with the Lord, as you offer your body to Him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, your mind is renewed. But the important thing to note here about our minds being renewed, our mind here is is a collective mind. In other words, this is plural when he says, your mind by the renewal of your mind. In other words, we together, if we're going to discern, we together have to come into the place of prayer. The idea that you simply go to the place of prayer by yourself, in and of itself, although that's good, in and of itself will never lead to the full transformation of your mind. That's one of the key reasons why we come together on a Sunday to worship the Lord. And we gather uh, at regular times in the house of prayer to worship the Lord because it's as we gather together with the Lord and together offer our bodies to God as living sacrifices, together our minds are transformed. And together we can resist confirmation conforming to the pattern of the world. We can resist that together, be transformed together, and then together, look at the promise here, discern what the will of God is. And the will of God is good, acceptable, or pleasing, and perfect, complete. In other words, Paul... And Asaph agree 100%. If we are to discern the good life, the only way to begin is by coming before God together. Sacrificing ourselves, offering our lives to God in a spiritual act of worship as living sacrifices, saying, God, I want you. God, I seek you. God, I need to know you. God, I belong to you through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. That is the beginning. And it's as we together offer our lives as living sacrifices in the sanctuary of the Lord, refusing to conform to the pattern of the world and refusing to think that we know what the good life is, as we do that, 
Our minds are transformed, renewed. And at that point, we begin to discern what the good life is. At that moment, we can discern the good life. And the thing that I've discovered in my life, and I've seen time and time again in the lives of others, is that the good life we discern from God truly is good, pleasing to us, acceptable to us, and really perfect for us. And most of the time that we continue to live with a degree of discomfort and misery in our lives, it's because we're trying to find the good life by our own determination or by comparing our lives to the lives of others. But the good life that we live truly only comes from God. And it's founded on the conviction that God is good, that God is good to his people, that God is good to those who are pure in heart, who have offered themselves up as holy and acceptable sacrifices, and that we are all pure in heart, not because of what we've done. We're all declared good, not because of our inherent goodness. We receive the goodness of Christ by God's grace through faith, which enables us to live the good life as God intends. Father God, thank you so much for the promise of your word. Thank you that you have a good life for us all to lead. And thank you that our good life is not simply determined by this world. Thank you that in Christ, the good life begins now, begins in this world, but is ultimately continued and, dare I say, even fulfilled in the world to come. Lord, as we come to you in prayer today, as we come to you in worship, as we again surrender ourselves to you through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm very conscious, Father, that many of us come to you today with disappointments. Our lives have not worked out exactly like we had hoped. Our lives are a work in progress and we're not really sure exactly where that progress is going to lead us. People have let us down. Sometimes we feel that you've let us down. And so, Lord, as we come to you in worship today, as we enter your presence, as we come together in your sanctuary to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, we lift up our disappointments and our discouragements to you. We lift up all of our self-reflected hopes and dreams for a good life, we lift up all the times that we've compared our lives to the lives of others, thinking that if we only had their life, we'd live the good life, 
We lift all of this up to you and ask you to take it and that you'd begin to reveal to us who we really are and you'd give us glimpses of the good life that you have for us that you definitely will give us in your son Jesus, both in this world and in the age to come. We love you and we praise you And we know that truly God is good. Truly God is good to his people. And truly God is good to those who are pure in heart. Thank you for your goodness. Demonstrated so perfectly to us through Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's in his name we pray. Amen.